Day in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a four-part series of messages on the fellowships that Irvin Robertson presented at Moody Week at Winona Lake, Indiana, 1978. Then on Friday, a standalone message on the good... Irvin Robertson was a 1938 graduate of MBI, missionary, author, MBI faculty member, and coordinator of the Boynton Beach Extension of Moody Evening School. Now, here is Irvin Robertson on Today in the Word Radio. It certainly is a privilege to greet you all once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and certainly on such a beautiful occasion in such a beautiful location. You know, as I think of the evening services, the evening times, a time, and perhaps particularly in a beautiful spot like this, I'm prone to think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 141 where he sought the Lord and said something about the lifting up of our hands as the evening sacrifice. Our prayers may ascend before thee as incense, and the lifting up of our hands as the evening sacrifice. I like to think of this particular hour, this evening devotional hour, if we may call it that, as a time when we do literally and our hands and praise the Lord. Just rejoice in the sheer privilege of belonging to the family of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians. Perhaps before we read one or two of these verses from the first chapter, I might remind you that the Epistle to the Philippians is one of a group that is called the Christological Epistles, also called the Prison Epistles. In combination, because the Christological idea simply suggests that these epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, uh, center our attention specifically upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's why they are the Lord Jesus Christ as the center of our attention. They're also called the prison epistles for a reason that I'm sure most of you could guess, because they were written while the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome. As a prisoner in Rome, he writes the epistles in which his particular concern is the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the epistle to the Philippians has also been called an epistle of rejoicing. There are those who say that the key verse in the epistle is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, he has already said that in chapter 3 and verse 1 where he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. As I was looking over the uh, new Schofield, I noticed in the introduction to this that the, uh, the editors of this particular uh, version of the word suggest that the key verse is chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is and to die is gain. But particularly the first part of this, that verse to me, to live is Christ. Well, there's no, no antagonism or antipathy between these two verses. Because to me, to live is Christ simply means in the Lord. And I cannot rejoice in the Lord, or may I put it this way, that I can only rejoice in the Lord to the degree that I can say to me, living is Christ. It's a glorious epistle. It is one and again is a favorite among Bible students. And we're going to spend our time, the such time as I have during the rest of this week, in this epistle of Paul to the Philippians. Now look with me at chapter 1. I'd like to read these first seven verses. 
May I say before we read likewise that we who are so familiar with the, the word oftentimes miss the meaning of the word because we do not read the words. It's good to pay attention to every word in God, the holy and inspired word of God. So we begin chapter 1, verse 1 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice these next three verses. I, as I read them, I want you to think, could anyone ever say anything about anyone else than the Apostle Paul has said in these three verses. Notice these, Philippians 1, 3, 4, and 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always care of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Perhaps I should reword that last expression immediately. Actually, what he says is, because ye are all partakers with me of grace. We turn again to this, thy holy and inspired word. We ask thee to bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ himself. And grant, dear Lord, as we bow the knees of our hearts to worship thee on this beautiful, beautiful occasion, that indeed our ears are what thy spirit would say unto us. For we pray with thanksgiving in the name of thy dearly beloved Son, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Epistle of Rejoicing. You will notice these three verses and suggest to you that I at least cannot think of anything that could be more sweetly, that more sweet that could be said of anyone than Philippians 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance Upon every remembrance of you, I thank my God, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. What Paul is saying is that every time I think of you, the brethren who are in Philippi, uplifted, and I am caused to rejoice. The remembrance of you causes me, constrains me to rejoice in the Lord for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We want to look particularly at that first word in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Fellowship perhaps must be defined. Actually, the word means, or the word that is translated fellowship in the New Testament, a sharing in all things. A sharing in all things. Fellowship. Perhaps uh, more... Uh, cleverly illustrated by the one whom I mentioned this morning in the morning message, T.J. Bach, long since with the Lord, who defined the word fellowship as simply being two fellows in one ship. And you know that's very, very apt and very, very accurate. Because if fellowship means a sharing in all things, 
And it's depicted very, very clearly, is it not, by two fellows who are in one ship. How can they walk together except to be agreed? Fellowship or a sharing in all things. And of course, we recognize immediately that that is none other than a definition of life. When the Apostle Paul says, to me, living is Christ. To me, to live is Christ. He is simply quoting himself as following that which he enjoined, at least on two occasions, when he said, drink or whatsoever we do. There is no limitation, there is no exclusion in the fellowship of the Lord's people with the Lord God Almighty. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Or again, that by the way is 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31. And Colossians 3, 17, the Apostle Paul almost repeats himself when he says, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all in the Lord Jesus. I like to repeat, to remind our students again and again and again of the allness of the fellowship of the Christian people. That whether they sit in the classroom or whether you sit in these not too soft seats or whether I stand here and speak, it really makes no difference. It is the all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. All in the name of the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons, I suppose, that has been so often laid upon my heart as I myself and for others, that God might bring every thought into, into captivity unto the obedience of Christ himself. The fellowship of the gospel means a sharing in all things. Now notice in he speaks of the fellowship in the gospel per se. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now we must needs does the Bible how does the Bible define the gospel? The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps the best definition given in the word is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 where the apostle Paul says that he said to them how that Jesus Christ was crucified he was put to death, he was buried, and he was raised again the third day, according to my gospel. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, is not simply the fact that Christ died. The good news is the fact that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and praise God, he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. We preach the gospel of the living. I'm reminded again of that verse in Revelation 1.18, which we quoted this morning, speaking of a man whom we knew in India who actually came to the Lord as he read Revelation 1.18. And the thing that impressed him most was that our blessed, our fellowship, the fellowship of the Lord's people, to be reminded most even in our day, that the gospel is not the story simply of a Christ who died. The gospel is of a Christ who died and who lives. By the way, Revelation simply says, The Lord Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and lo, am alive forevermore. The fellowship of the Lord's people is the fellowship of the living Christ. The fellowship of Christ. Is there anything sweeter, actually, than the fellowship of the Lord's people reckoning upon and recognizing the presence of the living Christ in the midst? Did not the Lord Jesus say, Wheresoever two or 
are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Is the Lord Jesus here in the midst of us in a peculiar sense tonight? Are we not met together in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can we from these words of the Apostle Peter, as we remember his presence, whom having not seen, we love, in whom, though now we see him not, yet believing, we are rejoicing with joy unspeakable of glory. Dear friends, what is there that is comparable to the fellowship of those of like precious faith? Do you rejoice in this? Do you thank God for the fellowship of the Lord's people? Do we recognize why it is here? Can we answer these questions affirmatively that we dealt with the other morning? Who makest thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? And if thou hadst received it, why dost thou glory that thou hadst not received it? We do recognize, as D. L. Moody said on that occasion, somewhere on State Street or one of these similar streets in Chicago, when he and a friend were walking down and they saw a poor man lying drunk drunk by the side the sidewalk in the gutter. And the friend said something about that poor wretch lying there in the gutter. And D.L. Moody is reported to have said, There, but for the grace of God, lies D.L. Moody. The fellowship of the Lord's people. The recognized presence of the Lord in the midst. Paul thanks God for the fellowship with these Philippian people in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel and fellowship by the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You'll notice in that verse 5 that there are no barriers in the fellowship of the Lord's people. There are no barriers in the body of Christ. Now, in order to see this, you must recognize who this man Paul was. The great apostle had been Saul the Pharisee a man who had been absolutely and fanatically devoted unto the law, a man who in his unregenerate days literally hated the Gentiles. The attitude was that as depicted in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, when the Apostle Paul was speaking from the castle steps in Jerusalem and was giving his testimony unto the people assembled there, listened to him very quietly because he was speaking in the Hebrew tongue, which they caused them to recognize that he was a man of some possession and some reputation and some ability. And they listened to him very, very quietly until he said this. He said unto them, That is, God said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far from here unto the Gentiles. It was only his testimony as to how God had dealt with him. And they listened to him up to that point. And as soon as he said the word Gentiles, what happened? until this word and then lifted up their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live it's not fit that this man should live because he dares to suggest that God is interested in the the apostle Paul as Saul of Tarsus was the epitome of an attitude that was depicted here and now here is Saul become Paul the Apostle as he writes to these Philippians who were, no doubt, practically all. You will remember the story of the founding of the church in Philippi, that in Acts chapter 16 we are told that when Paul went to the city, he did not go to the synagogue as was his wont. The probability, the actuality is that 
synagogue because there was none there. And he went to the place where prayer was wont to be made out by the bank, on the bank of a river. And you remember that he preached the gospel there. So the assumption is, and it's verifiable, that the church in Philippi was if not totally, of despised Gentiles. And now the Apostle Paul, it seems to me that we need to recognize this. What a wonderful instrument God chose for the writing of the epistles when he chose this man, Saul of whose transformation had been so total and so complete and so dramatic and so traumatic. But here is this Saul who had become Paul by the grace of God as he writes to these Gentiles and he says, I thank my God upon every always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. There are no barriers in the body of Christ. Peace had been made between them and Jesus Christ. Peace was there that they had never known before. In 1976, Mrs. Robertson and I had the privilege of being in Europe with Operation Mobilization, a young people's group that carries on a worldwide but during every summer goes into Europe on a European crusade. And roughly about this time of the year, there will be about 1,000 young people meeting, or by this time, I suppose, dispersing to various... They, may, they meet together for a week of orientation to be taught the ideas and the disciplines of that which they're about to do. And they gather there in order to meet together, to get to know each other, and so on. No barriers in the body. A thousand young people may be, may be composed of, well, about 800 young people from most of the free countries of Europe. Most of the free countries of Europe who are giving their vacation periods, usually one month at length, for the gospel into the unreached areas of Europe. But they will likewise be accompanied by some Christians from India, some from the Middle East, some from North Africa, and on that occasion there were no less than 20 young men and women from Singapore. Young men and women who had come at their own expense there to meet with, with these other young people, some from the United States, some from Canada, some also from Mexico, in order that they might join together in the bonds of love in Christ Jesus to take the gospel which is the towns of Europe. Europe, by the way, being one of the great needy mission fields of the world today. No barriers in the body whatsoever. All barriers are broken down in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was quite astounded at the first meeting. The one sitting next to me as I shook his hand at the end of the meeting, I discovered he was a young man from Turkey. Turkey is one of the great needy fields of the world of which the Lord's people know practically nothing because so little but we are told that among some 40 or 50 million Turks, there may be as many as 50 believers. That is, men of that nation itself who have been born again from Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, here was one of the 50, a young man who had come to that meeting in order that he might join with the others to go out into the villages and the towns, knock on the doors, hold street meetings, dispense tracts, and in the fellowship of the gospel ministry. There are no barriers in the gospel at all. I was reminded as I thought this over likewise in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 
9, we read here that they sang a new song. This, of course, looks into the day that is yet to be. They sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. The fellowship of the gospel, dear friends, is there anything in all the world fellowship of the gospel, the fellowship of the Lord's people? Have you realized that? Have you thanked God for it? Do you thank God for it? Will you thank God for it? What a privilege it is to be with the Lord's people. But in second place in, in verse 6. Being confident, the apostle writes, Why do I thank my God for you and for our fellowship in the gospel? Because I am confident. I am assured of this very thing hath begun a good work in you, will go on performing it, or perhaps more properly, will go on perfecting it until the day of Jesus Christ. There are no barriers in the gospel. There is no uncertainty in the gospel message. It is one of the great privileges of life to be able to preach the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ, particularly unto people who have never heard. This is why I have no problem whatsoever in enthusiastically recommending to young people or to anyone anywhere to seek the Lord concerning the possibility of preaching the gospel where Christ has never been named. Because we preach with this certainty, the certainty of the resurrected Christ, I am he that liveth and was dead, and lo, am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of Hades and of death. There is no uncertainty in the gospel message. Why is this? Where does Paul get his confidence? Because the message of the gospel is rooted in the Lord God Almighty, in the one who is sovereign over all, the one who brings after the counsel of his own will, the one who can do anything he pleases, and the one who never makes mistakes. The gospel is rooted in the very being of God himself, being of this very thing. A young man said to me just during this week, how can I be positive of my salvation when I so often feel this way or that way or up and down and I fall and so on and so on? And I said, your confidence must lie in the fact of the word of God has said, and we believe it. Hallelujah. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We dare to preach this because God has said it, and because you and I, in the providence and grace of God, have Look with me to the 18th Psalm. Because I would love to quote from many of these Psalms, because the Psalms, you may remember, is the book of praises, we ought to doing, be doing a lot more memorizing from the book of praises. But they're filled with verses like this. Psalm 18, I'm going to read verses 30 and 31. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proved. A shield or a buckler to all those who trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? Do you get the significance of the, the, the God as the rock? 
God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God. Or the 100th Psalm. I wonder how many have memorized that 100th Psalm. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Presence with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth, what? His truth endureth to all generations. There is no lack of confidence in the gospel message. There is no uncertainty in it, because it is rooted in the very being of God himself. Who is God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God? of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will go on perfecting it until the day of Jesus Christ. I've read them from that 18th Psalm. Look back at the 18th Psalm, the first verse. And let me if you have told this to God today. I was reminded of this as I was going through the course on the Psalms some time ago on the Radio School of the Bible. But 18, Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. And I, I really realized these words at that time. Because frequently on the streets, at least of Chicago, we'll see signs on, on the bumpers of certain cars which say, Have you hugged your kid today? Or something like that. And it occurred to me, why should we not that and read this 18th Psalm, the first verse? I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Now, you can read this, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. It's a continuative idea. There's no nothing it. It's a continuing present idea. It's perfectly scriptural for us to say, O Lord, I love thee. But notice verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. God, my strength, in him or in whom I will trust my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. There is no uncertainty in the gospel message, dear friends, because it is rooted in the very being himself, God our rock. He who has called us, he who has begun this good work in us, we with supreme confidence say we know that he will go on performing it, yes, but he will go on performing until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that we are saved by grace? The Lord willing, as we go on with our study in Philippians, we'll be speaking of the fact that you and I are all partakers of the God that is in Christ Jesus. Faithful indeed is he who called us, who also will do it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun, is this perhaps speaking to some? He who hath begun this good work in you will not, he cannot let you go. Because God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And yes, dear friends, God is able to do how much? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you are thinking. Above all that we are asking or above all that we are thinking, according to the power that worketh in us.
barrier in the gospel, in the body of Christ, and there is no uncertainty. Praise God for the privilege of preaching the gospel of our risen Christ. Shall we bow our heads in prayer again? Father dear, we do rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we do otherwise? Seated as we are in this lovely spot, this hallowed spot indeed, as we think back on the, and mayhap the women who have assembled in places like this, many of whom have long since been in the fellowship with the Apostle Paul, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely our hearts must need by the realization of what it means to be in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Father dear, is there one here tonight who does not know the Lord Jesus? Is there one who does not know the joy of which we speak? Is there one to whom these words are meaningless? Because that one has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. As thy people, our Father, do beseech thy throne even now, if there should be one congregation who does not know the Lord Jesus, grant, O God, that by thy Holy Spirit thou wouldst bring conviction of sin, realization of that need, yes, and a desire to be one with the rest of us. This mutual faith that is ours in our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Bring conviction, O God, unto repentance, unto faith in him. May he hear those words, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Thank thee, our Father, for the privilege. We thank thee, we thank thee, we thank thee. We love thee, O God, our strength. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening radio podcast and one of the fellowship messages that Irvin Robertson presented at Moody Week at Winona Lake, Indiana, 1978. Irvin Robertson was a 1938 graduate of MBI, missionary, author, MBI faculty member, and Boynton Beach Extension of Moody Evening School. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.